With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Hang Up and Listen is sponsored by Sherry's Berries. Treat your mom to something sweet this Mother's Day with a gift from Sherry's Berries. Fresh berries dipped in chocolate start at $19.99. Visit berries.com. Click on the microphone and use the code HANGUP. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com and the promo code HANGUP. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine, and this is Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen, for the week of April 27th, 2015. On this week's show, we'll talk about all the intentional fouling in the NBA playoffs, whether the league should stop players from hacking each other on purpose. We'll also talk about whether enough attention is being paid to Floyd Mayweather's domestic violence convictions in the run-up to Mayweather's fight with Manny Pacquiao on May 2nd. Finally, we'll assess Cincinnati Reds manager Brian Price's recent tirade in which, in the words of the Associated Press, he used a common vulgarity that begins with F 77 times. Fudge. <laughs> That word. Fiddlesticks. Fiery. Joining me, Washington, D.C., is Stefan F. Word, the author of the books Word Frenzy and <laughs> A Febrile Second of Panic. How are you, Stefan? A lot of Fs. Didn't realize until just this moment. What's the value of the F? In Scrabble? Yeah. Or in life? Four it points in Scrabble, incalculable in life. Right, because without it, life would just be a lie. That's very, very well said. Very, very, Thank you. very going out on that. Mike. I, I'm going to crochet that on a pillow right the fuck now. <laughs> you will be a millionaire, Mike Pesca. <laughs> um, if we're sounding a little festive with an extra F today, Mike, it's because the only glasses I could find for water in the Slate office were wine glasses. Mm -hmm. So Stefan and I are going to clink glasses in front of the microphone. Good. Good, good, good. Cheers. Uh, yeah. Cheers. Maybe maybe we work our way up to snifters. Nastrovia. Slowly, yeah. Stini Yashu, Josh. Uh, with us from New York, it's Mike Pasca. 
host of Slate's daily podcast, The Gist, with Mike Pesca. That sentence, been, had, no, that sentence had no Fs in it. Well, it, it's been rebranded, The Fist. <laughs> it's not truculent. It's not in your face. It's just a uh, trying to honor a very underlooked Sylvester Stallone movie. Would you say that your fist is iron, or would you more properly describe it as ferrous? Velvet One card. fist is iron, the other is steel. If the first one don't get you, the other one will. <laughs> Mike Fresca. How about Mike, instead of Mike Pesca's iron fist, Mike Pesca's ferrous wheel. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> um, in our bonus segment for... I like a ferret wheel. What would a ferret <laughs> wheel be? <laughs> it would drive Giuliani can, nuts. A wheel would be just like a little hamster wheel. Just larger. Yeah, G- more, I more dangerous right. in an urban setting. Rudy Giuliani's waking nightmare. I've seen them in the subway. <laughs> ferret wheel. <laughs> in, our, in our bonus segment. I think there was a ferret wheel on 42nd Street back in the day. <laughs> in our bonus segment for Slate Plus members this week, we'll discuss Bruce Jenner's interview with Diane Sawyer and his career as an Olympic hero and Wheaties pitchman. To hear this bonus segment and other bonus content on podcasts like this one and the culture and political gabfests, can sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash hangupplus if you want to try before you buy. The good news is that signing up at slate.com slash hangupplus will give you a free two-week trial of the Slate Plus experience. And as we announced last week, uh, we're recording a spring call-in show in the next few weeks. Uh, profanity is allowed, though if you cursed 77 times in the span of a single question. It'd be a it, long question. It would be a long question. Problem, I would be impressed, problem. though maybe not inclined to broadcast it but who knows take a shot take a fucking shot clean or otherwise <laughs> dial 77 hang up 10 leave us a message that's 77 hang up 10 can i just spoiler alert here you mentioned we'll discuss bruce jenner's wheaties endorsements after ball spoiler mine wheaties oh. <laughs> syntax irregular regular uh the first round of the nba playoffs has not exactly been a non-stop thrill ride. So far, the most important developments have been uh, Grizzlies point guard Mike Conley getting his face injured. Surgery scheduled for today, for Monday. Cavaliers forward Kevin Love getting his shoulder yanked out of joint, potentially imperiling Cleveland's title chances. There's been uh, just one competitive series thus far. Clippers, Spurs, LA won in San Antonio on Sunday to even the best of seven at two games all. But not every second of every game between the Clippers and Spurs has been particularly exciting. That's because Spurs coach Greg Popovich has employed the hack a Jordan strategy. Not just any Jordan. Not Michael DeAndre, Jordan. DeAndre Jordan intentionally fouling the Clippers center, who is a 42% free throw shooter for his career and is shooting 33%, 11 for 33 in the first uh, four games of this year's playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The strategy seems pretty sound. Uh, the Clippers had the NBA's most efficient offense during the regular season, 1.1 points per possession. If you foul DeAndre Jordan and he makes, say, 40% of his free throws, that's 0.8 points per possession. So you've just transformed the best offensive team in the NBA into a team that's much, much worse than the uh, Sixers. Clippers coach Doc Rivers has uh, made the decision also to take Jordan out of the game um, at various times to avoid having him get fouled. So that takes the opponent's best defensive player off the floor. Um, It's not quite that simple, though. You have to take into account that the Clippers can rebound Jordan's misses, that the Spurs players can get into foul trouble if they're hacking dudes on purpose. Um, We can talk about the pros and cons of the strategy uh, in a bit, but it's clear that this thing is proliferating. You've seen it in Mavericks, Rockets, uh, Houston's Josh Smith and Dwight Howard 
getting fouled intentionally. Uh, the Pelicans were doing it to the Warriors, Andre Godala and Andrew Bogut. Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, said that they will look into changing the rule. So that's the question, Mike Pesca. Should they uh, change this rule so you cannot foul bad free throw shooters on purpose? Absolutely not, for a few reasons. One, it's justice. Two, it's entertaining. I like the hack-a-shack. I think it adds a wrinkle. And three, it allows a bad free throw shooter to stick it in your face. And uh, that's what, <laughs> that's what, uh, who what, was it? Was it Reggie Miller? One of these guys was saying after DeAndre Jordan gets hacked, well, he might not make those free throws, but man, does he play intense defense. Yeah, that's why he's on the floor anyway, guys. <laughs> no, I love, I love hack-a-whoever. And I, I don't even mind that it's called hack-a-shack. What was it called during the Wilt days? Still to Wilt? Anyway, bewilder a wilt. Anyway, I think it was a Ferris wilt. I think it's very much like pitching around a good hitter in baseball or, you know, there are things that's supposedly a penalty. Oh, the penalty is a base on balls, but you make a cost benefit analysis. And in that case, you make the wise choice in baseball. In this case, I think it's mostly the wise choice in basketball. Love it. Love Hackershack. It's not really like anything else. I mean, I've been thinking about it, Mike. Um, so <laughs> I've been talking about it. You you know, might not have thought that I had thought about it, but it's not really like anything else where you can choose an opponent's specific weakness and just like focus in on it and force him to do the thing he's worse at repeatedly over and over and over again. And the cost benefit here is close enough that you can't really ban this for competitive reasons. So the only reason to ban it is because it makes the game less entertaining. You argue that it makes the game more entertaining. But if, you know, a majority or two thirds or three quarters of NBA owners, whatever it is to change the rule, decide that it makes the game less entertaining, that to me seems like a perfectly legitimate reason to change a rule. How do we change this rule, though? You're not allowed to foul DeAndre Jordan under any circumstances? Oh, very, very easy. How to, do you change very the rule? Change the rule Incredibly easy to change the rule. No uh, intentional fouls off the ball. There, I did it. Ever. Or, or, In you, any or the option to decline a free throw. Or option to decline a free throw. We'll take it out. Option to decline a free throw once you're in the bonus. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, we'll the difficulty of changing the rule is no obstacle. I think there are pretty easy ways to get around it. But as you alluded to earlier, Mike. You just hacked his point right there. The reason that you can't foul off the ball in the last two minutes is because of Will Chamberlain. Right. Because teams would chase him around, try to foul him on purpose, and it made the you know classic farce of the game, and they changed the rule. What to, they should do is yeah. put on the Keystone Cops music and watch DeAndre Jordan mm -hmm. run around the court to avoid getting fouled yeah, away Keystone's, from the ball. Keystone Cops, a mainstay of the silent film era. Maybe you were true, thinking of, true, true, maybe true. You were thinking of the Yakety Sax Yakety Sax, I think, would be yeah. better. Yeah, what did I say? Okay. Keystone Cops, yeah, not going to work. <laughs> All right, the other problem with this the is Buster that- The Crab music. The, the other, the, Charlie Chaplin. If you ran around like Charlie Chaplin, then it would work. Um, that the, should be a foul. <laughs> The the other problem is that we, there's no proven statistical evidence, as you alluded to, Josh, that it is effective. John Azekowitz, formerly of the Harvard Sports Collective, undergraduate stat guys, did a piece for 538.com that basically debunked this. I mean, if you sort of get a little bit deeper into the statistical analysis of whether fouling someone like DeAndre Jordan is worthwhile, it turns out that eh, it's probably a coin flip as to whether it is when you factor in other things like the proven statistical improvement of bad free throw shooters the more times they go to the line in succession. Um, the fact that a set defense is better, so you're allowing the Clippers to 
you know, do, you know, better at stopping the Spurs offense. The fact that the Clippers are actually very good at rebounding DeAndre Jordan misses from the free throw line because they have so much practice doing it. They're way better than the statistical average for the league and way better than how they off a rebound off of uh, off of missed free throws for the rest of the team. So there's really no great rationale to do it, except when a coach falls into the trap of taking a good player off the court because they don't want him to be fouled. Well, there can be specific circumstances where it makes sense. Like if you want to, you know, stop a run that the other team is on, if you want to frustrate the other team, if you want to just do something disruptive, I don't know if that you can necessarily quantify that, but just to say that on aggregate, it doesn't work or it might be a coin flip doesn't mean that it wouldn't be a smart play in specific scenarios. Which is why in specific scenarios, why would you ban something that's effective in specific scenarios? I mean, we've already got the last two minutes of the game taken care of. So why why eliminate what in effect is a is an occasional strategic asset or strategic part of the game. I mean, DeAndre Jordan went to the line exactly zero times in game three and four times in game four. So it's not as if this is a malignancy on the, on the series. But it can be in a specific game. I mean, there have been sure. cases where Dwight Howard, I think, shot 40 free throws in a game. I think 40, yeah. DeAndre Jordan has shot about 30 in a game. I'm like way... Yeah, Dwight Howard went to the line 39 times in one game. He went 21 for 39 and finished with 45 points. So I think I'm more on board with banning it than you guys are. Um, I think basketball is in this kind of middle ground in sports when it comes to specialization, right? Like in football, you have receivers and linemen and quarterbacks, and these guys are expected to do their specific jobs. Same thing in baseball. Like you're not going to play a you know, catcher in center field or you know, you're not going to have a pitcher hit. That would be crazy. But in basketball, there's no rule that you have to play DeAndre Jordan. You can play five like guys that are five foot six, and that might give you a speed advantage, but you'd get destroyed on the other end. And, and then it's you not can like, also play the yakety sax music. And it's not like, you know, Patty Mills was having a really good game for the Spurs on offense. And on the other end, you know, Chris Paul or whoever else was posting him up. It's not like there's a rule that if a guy's under six feet tall, you're not allowed to go after him on defense. These are the kinds of considerations you have to make as a coach. Like, Big man, not as fast. Little man, fast, but not as tall. So the problem that I have or where it gets a little iffy is, again, when it's just not any fun to watch, when it's not entertaining. Like seeing Patty Mills score on one end and get, you know, scored on on the other end, that's fun. That's interesting to watch. It's, you know, a dynamic matchup and you're seeing that kind of tension in coaching like you were describing, Mike, like what it, what's the decision that you're going to make. But having the game completely stop and have a guy trudge to the line over and over again and miss free throws, that breaks the entertainment gradient. And that just makes it, it's, you know, maybe an interesting strategic thing to think about, but it's not actually fun to watch. And basketball has a pro- in-game problem. Like hockey, pulling the goalie is amazing. It's like such an awesome strategic, like, trade-off and it makes it more fun at the end of the game and you want to watch. But the end of game and basketball is just foul, timeout, foul, timeout. Basketball has an end of game problem. And this brings that problem to the rest of the game, which was previously uninfected. 
Well, if you wanted to solve that problem, you should solve that problem by doing things like st- not letting uh, the teams take the ball at half court after a timeout. If you were talking about two-thirds of the owners, what two-thirds of the owners want, they want that. They want that slowdown, and all the coaches feel that they could outcoach each other. Ben Golliver, I think is how he pronounces his name. Well, he should if he doesn't, of Sports <laughs> Illustrated, was talking about embrace it embrace it statistically don't just let the announcer say well this wouldn't be a problem if he could hit his free throws which is true but show all the statistics you know if greg popovich you said that um there's no statistical evidence that it's true to me my statistical evidence is that greg popovich does it but the other statistical evidence is that he doesn't always do it and he figures out when to do it and so whatever he's going through in his decisions you could parallel that there are a lot of smart stack guys you could have a very intellectual discussion or throw some great stats on the screen or at least employ the hacker mascot i mean if the whole thing is the entertainment aspect bust out some guy who's you know chases around the uh, coyote of the spurs with a hacksaw during the hacker part of the game last point you could start five guys who are five six and under but there have only been three guys who are five six and under <laughs> in the history of the nba mugsy bogues earl boykins and mel hirsch but we, we want to see the Spurs and Clippers play basketball, right? We want to see them either in a full-court context or a half-court context. And when Popovich makes the maybe it's rational, maybe it's irrational decision to foul DeAndre Jordan, we're not seeing what we want to see from these two teams. We want to see which team is better when they're actually playing the non-clock-stopped, non-DeAndre Jordan shooting a free-throw version of basketball. We don't want to see the World Series decided by, uh, maybe we do want to see it decided by Bartolo Colon batting like 30 times in a row, or, you know, Garo Yaprimian playing quarterback on the, you know, one-yard line to try to pass the uh, the Dolphins to uh, Super Bowl glory. Like, these are not the reasons why these teams are in the playoffs. These are not the reasons that we want to see these teams play. And so I think there is kind of cognitive dissonance there. And I think there's a problem for the NBA when this takes over large swaths of the game. I don't disagree that the NBA has an end-of-game problem, just as we saw in college basketball. I do disagree that the reason we watch sports generally is exclusively for seeing the players who are meant to play play against each other for the entire time. I mean, the great thing about sports is the vagaries of these sports and the fact that, yeah, Gary Upremian can wind up with a ball in his hands. But this isn't a vagary. It's an intentional strategy to get a specific that. bad person it's to do what he's bad at. I understand that. and But that's built into basketball. The question is, should we build it out of basketball? Free throws generally are boring. I mean, they're designed to be gift points. So if yeah. the idea is that free throws should be points... Maybe we shouldn't have free throws. Just give them two points. If we shouldn't have intentional walks, just let people go to first base. I mean, these are parts of the game that go way back. So, I mean, it's an argument against free throw shooting, really. So I think when purists like Jordan and Bird and announcers on these games say, well, they should just get better at shooting free throws, they're right to some extent. They should just get better at shooting free throws. I don't, I don't want to belabor, but I think you can you know, go a little overboard with saying this is built into basketball because sending a guy to like nowhere near where the basketball is to intentionally slap a guy Mm -hmm. in the chest. Like that doesn't seem like it's an innate part of basketball. And you can imagine a world in which imagine a world in which the rules Mm -hmm. stated that you just can't do that in a way that could potentially be advantageous to the team that's slapping the guy in the chest. So you should be able to do it maybe, but you shouldn't be able to send him to the line. You want to slap him in the chest, slap (laughs) him in the chest. So that'll lead to getting the other team into the bonus. Well, that's your problem for slapping him in the chest. 
I am for overall free free throw reform. I think it's weird that they're 15 feet away. I mean, Andre Jordan has never taken a shot more than four feet from the basket. So that's <laughs> you should kind shoot of from the average distance yeah, of your yes. shots from the floor. Oh, I like that. <laughs> right. Or some or just the time thing. Like you get a free throw, but it has to be done within four seconds. And if you miss it, no dap on the line. <laughs> yeah. I think we've just solved it right there. Let's move on. Uh, Mother's Day is Sunday, May the 10th, which means that if you don't listen to this podcast right after it's recorded, then you have missed Mother's Day. I hate to be the one to break it to you. Shame on you for two reasons. You do need to listen to the show promptly, sir or madam, and no Mother's Day for you. Um, but, <laughs> sir or madam. But for the rest of you, the responsible <laughs> listeners out there, let me tell you, it's important to get your mom a gift because she's great. I've assessed all the moms and they're all great. I will let you know. Uh, there's no better gift for your mom this year than Sherry's Berries. For our listeners only, Sherry's Berries is offering giant, freshly dipped strawberries starting at just $19.99, which is more than a 40% savings. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, type in our code HANGUP, and you'll be on your way. I can offer a personal testimony here because we got some of these berries delivered to the Slate office a few days ago. 237, Dan Coyce announces... Berries placed in communal area for group snacking. 2.40, three minutes later, Josh Keating, another Slatester, announces berries all gone. People went crazy for these berries. Were there any deaths? Trampling? <laughs> no deaths. No stampede? No. The berries were killed. Safe berries. The people that had them They're were happy. Yeah. People went They're crazy strawberries. for berries. Strawberries are the type of berries, we should say. What, they were, they, what were they dipped yeah. in? They're delicious. Well, one is dipped they're... in a white chocolate. One is dipped in a chocolate with nuts. One is dipped in it. There are, I think, four kinds. Maybe th- there are three kinds of chocolate, and they're placed in the box at, at, in haphazard but very satisfying to the eye patterns. <laughs> <laughs> You'll want to try these strawberries for yourself. Thank you, Stefan. Or your mother will want to try them for herself if you don't eat them all first. Here is the only way to get this amazing deal. Freshly dipped strawberries starting in 1999. This offer is for our listeners only. When you use our code HANGUP, visit berries.com. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner. Type in HANGUP. Go to berries.com. Click on the microphone and enter our code HANGUP. Stefan, let's drink to that. To berries. Strawberry wine. We need better china. We do. All right. Goblets. Next time. That's a very loud clink. We need sort of more delicate. I'll bring the good stuff next time. Crystal. Bring the crystal. All right, this coming Saturday, Floyd Mayweather will fight Manny Pacquiao in a boxing match that's been five years in the making. Mayweather, whose career record as a pro is 47-0, could earn an estimated $180 million for his night's work from sponsors, live gay receipts, and revenue from those paying $99.95 to watch the fight on pay-per-view. ESPN's Keith Olbermann, among others, is calling for a boycott of the fight on account of Mayweather's multiple convictions for assaulting women. Mayweather's history of domestic violence was highlighted in a 30-minute episode of ESPN's Outside the Lines over the weekend. In one segment, reporter John Barr asked Mayweather about that history at a promotional event for this weekend's fight. Here is part of their exchange. In your case, there's been actual convictions and no governing body has ever suspended you or sanctioned you. What message do you think that sends victims of domestic violence? I just say I want everybody to tune in May 2nd. Mayweather versus Pacquiao, this is a fight that you can't miss. But there are a lot of people who wonder why you should be allowed to continue to box in the highest profile events when you've got the, the track record that you have, when in other sports there have been serious repercussions for some of these athletes. Well, you know, when it's all said and done, only God, God can judge you. But I don't want people to miss this fight. This is an unbelievable matchup. 
Mayweather Pacquiao, May 2nd. Be there. Didn't really seem that responsive to the question asked. No, but he did effectively promote Mayweather Pacquiao, May 2nd. I know the date of the mm-hmm. fight. Okay. I know who's Check. fighting. It doesn't mm-hmm. make Check. me more inclined to watch it. <laughs> right. But I am aware of when it's happening. Despite Olbermann's public call for a boycott and that Outside the Lines show, it's ESPN that has actually come in for most of the criticism with regards to promoting this boxing match and ignoring Mayweather's rap sheet. Uh, most egregiously, Stephen A. Smith interviewed Mayweather at length about, among other things, his collection of expensive cars. I don't think we need to play the clip to know uh, that it was a loathsome yeah. exercise. It went, about, we, went about as well as the car interview could have gone. Yeah, yeah we, know, we know what Stephen A. Smith sounds like. And the combination of Stephen A. Smith and Floyd Mayweather was a television apocalypse. Stefan, what do you think of how ESPN has covered Mayweather? I mean, as we've seen with this and other things, ESPN is a vast empire. and A vast kind of empire, yeah. And all, all good and bad contained within those four letters. And the rest of that John Barr report reveals the good side of ESPN journalistically. It was a thorough analysis with your sort of dateline style, zooming in on uh, keywords from court documents in the multiple cases of domestic violence that have been brought against Floyd Mayweather, including one that resulted in a jail sentence. I mean, the evidence here is overwhelming that Floyd Mayweather is a serial domestic abuser. There's an incredible story in USA Today last year, a couple few months ago, end of last year, in which the reporter interviewed Josie Harris, the mother of uh, three of Floyd Mayweather's children, and described this harrowing, also also revealed in court documents, night where Mayweather comes into her house at five in the morning, drags her by the hair, beats her, chilled one of the kids escapes and goes to security and the cops come. It's just terrifying. So the, the larger question becomes the one that John Barr asks on ESPN and that Rachel Nichols asked in one of the few very trenchant questionings of Floyd Mayweather, which is, should he fight? Should he be allowed to fight? Should he have a license to fight? Should people support his fighting? And the more you read about Floyd Mayweather, the more disgusted you become. I really had not read a ton about these cases. I'm certainly aware of them. But the more I read over the last day, the more sickened I got at the prospect of him being about to rake in $100 plus million for fighting Pacquiao. These questions have been raised more quietly when the fights weren't as big. But, you know, I think your problem should be more with the total amount of time he spent in jail, jail. 87 days. So we're going to deny this guy an opportunity to earn a living. Sure, it's way too much of a living for what a despicable human being he seems to be. But we have a situation like uh, Ray Rice, like a lot of other domestic cases. Why does it fall to entertainment-seeking America or sports leagues or free enterprise or or Pacquiao's purse. Pacquiao seems like a great person, you know? So we're denying him the $30 million or whatever that he's going to get for not fighting his uh, prime opponent. It's complicated. I think he's a terrible guy. And if someone wanted to boycott this because it's not an abstraction to say you're putting money right in Floyd Mayweather's pocket. I mean, you buy the fight, you go to a bar that has the fight and pay an admission fee, that's going to Floyd Mayweather's pocket. There is no way around that. Then again, this is boxing. This is probably the last big fight ever. This is a dying sport. It's dying for a number of reasons. One of them isn't necessarily 
the abuse, though it doesn't have a great history, but it's just that there are no governing bodies to do anything to discipline Floyd Mayweather, and it falls to TV stations like not only ESPN, but, you know, HBO before it, which gave Floyd Mayweather a 24-7, essentially. Co-produced by yeah, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, I mean, that is much more horrendous than anything ESPN has done. Well, so except that, for one thing, Mike, yeah. the Nevada Boxing Commission or the Nevada State Athletic Commission does have the ability to not give Floyd Mayweather a license to fight yeah, in the state. Yeah, but you know, how many other guys, so he's the, at the top of his game, and they could have denied him the license for his last 10 fights. And there sure. are probably tons of other guys who have done more what the courts have ruled to be more serious I mean, we don't judge, say, drug convictions as harshly as we do uh, domestic abuse, but the courts have the opposite case. And so all of a sudden, sports commissions uh, have to have a super morality above the courts. It's very complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with Mike. I thought that the focus and the outside the lines special on the Nevada State Athletic Commission was a little bit of a red herring or seemed a little bit like grandstanding. I mean, I think what's playing out now at an increased volume, I think because of the publicity for this fight, is appropriate and how things should play out. I think that the public should be educated about what this man has done. And, you know, the really sad but true thing that Jameel Hill said in the Outside the Line special is like with Ray Rice, you know, he punched his then fiance on camera, but he's been very contrite about it afterwards. And so you can like think, well, maybe this guy should be forgiven. Maybe he shouldn't be forgiven, but at least like he's saying the right things. Floyd Mayweather, his two responses are watch Mayweather Pacquiao on May 2nd. And there haven't been any pictures of these women. So it's not true. Oh, I forgot number three, door number three, which is only God can judge me. I mean, he's defiant in the face of evidence, He's you know, and it's not true about right. there not being pictures. I mean, TMZ has footage of of one of these women being wheeled out of the house on a stretcher. And so he's just a lying, you know, wife beating asshole. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is why God invented illegal streaming, because <laughs> I am not going to, to pay for this fight. I think that in general, piracy is wrong. You should not do it. But it was you who was saying this, Mike, right? Like, there's not an abstraction here. The money is going right. directly mm-hmm. into Floyd Mayweather's pocket. Like right. you are choosing to support this man he needs by paying the money car. by paying the money to watch this fight. You're not you're not supporting boxing like writ large. You're not supporting like the NFL, the WBA, the WBC. Right. Yes. You are going paying for like Mayweather one Inc. one one ten thousandth of Floyd Mayweather's like eighth Bugatti. Like if you're mm-hmm. comfortable with that then you're comfortable with that. But I think that, you know, ESPN is doing a good job in the cases when it's not, you know, putting Stephen A. Smith on the air of showing people, like, this is the man that you're paying the money to support. But, you know, like, oh, they like he shouldn't be allowed to, like, punch another guy in the face. Like, he's not a good enough person to, like, you know, participate in boxing. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, there's moral issues with just watching boxing or the fact that boxing exists, exists in the first place. And so to say, like, the, you know, we can't we can't have someone who hits uh, who hits women being being boxing. I well, mean, I think it's more that we can't have someone who makes tens of millions of dollars hitting someone in the face. Not so much that he shouldn't exist or boxing shouldn't exist. It's that you know boxing exists. It's as long as people go to to matches and as long as there are pay per views, people are going to box. And yeah, Floyd May- Mayweather can box. But there are people that could stop him from boxing. The question is, what are the where is the line? And Keith Olbermann talked about the line. Is the line 
beating women five, six, seven times and, and having multiple convictions and serving jail time? Should that deny him the right to be a boxer? I Maybe think the it line shouldn't. should be if you're in prison, then you shouldn't be able to when box you're in prison. because you're in prison. Unless you box in prison. Yeah. Yeah, but Sonny Liston was in prison. Sure. There, boxing has had a long history of uh, comics and ex comics. No, I mean, like, boxing. literally, you should not be able to box while, while you're, you're in prison. prison. <laughs> but once you're out of prison, like, if you want to box and people want to pay you for it, then that's, yeah. so that's we, their problem. So we stipulate that Floyd Mayweather is despicable, then who are we criticizing here? The boxing media for being toadies? To Floyd Mayweather and well, ESPN just, for doing pieces about his Well, ESPN his broadcasting cars. the Stephen A. Smith thing is an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. And they should be, and they should be embarrassed. But and then beyond, Stephen beyond A. Smith the... talking about giving his opinions about domestic violence again and putting down a female colleague on air who dared to disagree with him. I mean, that was despicable, too. So is that where the, the focus of our ire should be? Or well, yes. is, as Josh said, the mere fact that we are having this conversation and that more media are actually talking about, mainstream media are talking about this in the lead up to the fight, is a good thing. But let's be clear. Stephen A. Smith did not just do t- a stupid puff piece about cars. Stephen A. Smith is a defender of Mayweather, saying he doesn't believe the the allegations, allegations. against Mayweather. Without knowing anything, he came to Mayweather's defense denying the reality that he beat this woman, you know, just, I guess, calling her a liar or whatever. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I know it's easy to beat up on Stephen A. Smith. In this case, we should. The other thing that um, I, I meant to bring this up earlier, but it's interesting to me that ESPN is being criticized where I haven't heard anyone, maybe I just haven't been listening in the right places, but anyone criticizing HBO and Showtime for being in, in business with Mayweather. I mean, he signed the big pay-per-view deal, like a six-fight deal with Showtime, which is a part of CBS Corporation, and then partnered up with HBO, which has Pacquiao's contract. So it's a kind of dual deal here, Showtime and HBO partnering up to present this mega fight. And so it seems totally appropriate to get on CBS or to a lesser extent to get on HBO for allowing this fight for happen, for, for being in business with this monster. But I haven't heard anybody say that in ESPN, which I guess because it's a neutral party here, because it's supposed to be independent and you might expect HBO and Showtime to be puffing this up, but ESPN you know, shouldn't be in, in the business of doing that. Maybe that's why people are mad at ESPN, but why, why aren't people saying, CBS, you signed this deal? Like you're putting all of this money into Mayweather's pocket after it was known that he was doing all this stuff? Like why are people- Because people want to watch the fight. That's why. Because know, this is but, the fight that everyone wants. But but we're in a world now where everyone is so angry at ESPN, right? I mean, there, yeah. there's at least a segment of the population that's really pissed at them for doing this, but they haven't enabled Mayweather to the extent that the CBS Corporation has. I think that's absolutely right, Josh. I mean, if there's one media entity with actual control over Floyd Mayweather's career, it's this network. Mayweather Pacquiao, May 2nd. Only, I guess, I guess, only God I guess, can judge you if you buy the yeah. pay-per-view for 100 bucks. I guess what we're saying is really, really, really root for Pacquiao. Are you going to watch the, the fight? Illegal stream, Pesca? Uh, it doesn't really fit in with my uh, lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I did. I did read about Manny Pacquiao, though, and he's kind of a conservative legislator in the Philippines. He fought against legislation mandating sex education, subsidizing contraception, and expanding right. family planning. Office. Well, actually, his sex education philosophy was simply that sometimes when you touch, the honesty is too much. He does. He does love to sing that song, karaoke he, he style. Better, he better not close his eyes against Floyd. Hang up and listen is part of the Panoply Network. 
Here is a word from one of our sister podcasts. Hi, I'm James Ledbetter, host of Inc. Uncensored, a podcast about business, startups, entrepreneurship, technology, cool companies, and everything else that hits the like buttons of my colleagues. This week, we'll be talking with Maria Aspen about... The rise of online lending and why finance is really cool now, really. And John Fine about... The pugilistic case for Take Your Kids to Work Today, literally. (laughs) And Chris Frieswick about... The 10th annual Inc. Magazine and Inc.com 30 Under 30 and why it makes me feel bad about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Plus whiskey and vaping and a genuine spit take. So subscribe to Inc. Uncensored at iTunes.com slash Panoply or Panoply.fm. On April 19th, C. Trent Rosecrans of the Cincinnati Enquirer wrote the following in the first paragraph of a 300-word story. Catcher Devin Mezzarocco is unavailable to play in the field because of an impingement in his left hip. I don't know about you, Stefan, but that sentence just really fucking pisses me off. (laughs) That is outrageous. (laughs) It's egregious. Who is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? Trent. Is that his real name? People who don't know how baseball works might think that this is very banal, that it is appropriate for a beat writer to report on things that happen like a but player. But has, has it helped the team? <laughs> How does it has help, it the, help team? the team? Has it helped the fucking team? Brian Price, in his second year as the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, he was not, he was not happy by a dead spin. Here is an excerpt of the censored audio, which unfortunately is all we have, the censored version. Uh, I'm happy to read it. Of Price's conversation. With I the, have it right here in front of me. With the assembled press. Well, let's listen to the clip first, Stefan. Okay. Your, your job isn't to sniff out every little thing that is about the Reds and put it out there for every other out of here. It's not your job. You want me to be candid with you? I've been candid with you. I talk to you guys like men. I tell you what the is going on with the team. I tell you how I'm feeling about it as candidly as I can. And then this got to watch this. I got to read out on a tweet from our own people in here that we don't have a player. How the does that benefit the Reds? It doesn't benefit us one bit. We try to go out there and win games i gotta come in here and then you guys blow it all over the place who we can play who we can't i'll tell you what i want you to know i'm not gonna lie to you (laughs) can i read some other parts yeah you can read some other parts I'm just, I'm fucking pissing up a rope in this fucking business because everyone has to know everything all the fucking time. That's not my fucking obligation. It's not their obligation. You know why fucking Billy Hamilton didn't fucking play the other day? Because his fucking fingers hurt and he couldn't hit right-handed comfortably, right? So that's something that I need to know and no one else needs to know. No one else needs to fucking know it. And all of a sudden it's out there. His fucking fingers are sore. It doesn't benefit us. It wasn't from you, but it doesn't benefit us one bit to fucking announce to the fucking other teams that were playing to bring in lefties when they need to fucking get Billy out. Our producer, Mike Volo, is looking at the board with some concern. I think you might have, you might have gone into the red there. But you were hired as the uh, manager of my baseball team. When, in Stephen. fact, he's working in the blue. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Price did eventually apologize, but only for the language that he used, not for just misunderstanding how journalism works. Or just being a moron? He's only been in baseball since like 1985, 88, 89. One of those years. He did go to Berkeley, so state school. Pesca, what did you make of the rant? 
I think he threw Billy Hamilton under the bus. I mean, I didn't need to know that <laughs> Billy Hamilton has specific fucking fingers and non-fucking fingers. That is wrong. <laughs> That's Billy ha- And anyway, anyway, fingers? That guy just has legs. What do you need Billy Hamilton to have fingers for? Great, yes, I think everyone... Runner. Everyone has made the point that uh, he doesn't understand journalism. He got very upset. But I liked it. It was fun. It's not so embarrassing. Sometimes, you know, I heard a pretty decent analysis that said since the Reds have started off poorly and there wasn't any analysis, there wasn't any thought that Brian Price would be on the hot seat. But, you know, if things go bad, this could be a knock against him. And the ownership of the Reds can't have liked this. And I say that. We should contextualize it like a fun bit of Tommy Lasorda chewing out as he did and then that going underground. Maybe it's something about how at least the bleeped version of this is everywhere, whereas in the past, even the bleeped versions of these things would be more of an underground phenomenon. Wait, did you say Tommy Lasorda cursing someone out? Yeah. Wait a second. I I think Tommy, wait, Tommy, are you here? Hold on. I have never, ever, since I've managed, ever told a pitcher to throw at anybody nor will I ever. And if I ever did, I certainly wouldn't make him throw at a fucking 130 hitter like LaFay or fucking Bavacqua who couldn't hit water if he fell out of a fucking boat. And I guarantee fucking to you this, when I pitched and I was going to pitch against a fucking team that had guys on it like Bavacqua, I sent a fucking limousine to get the cocksucker to make sure he was in the motherfucking lineup because I kicked that cocksucker's ass any fucking day in a week. <laughs> He's a fucking motherfucking big mouth, I'll tell you that. I was thinking about the time that Tommy Lasorda was asked his opinion of Dave Kingman's three home run performance. What's my opinion of Kingman's performance? What the fuck you think is my opinion of it? I think it was fucking horseshit. Put that in. I don't fucking opinion of his performance. Jesus Christ, he beat us with three fucking home runs. <laughs> what the fuck do you mean? What is my opinion of his performance? How can you ask me that question like that? What is my opinion of his of, of his performance? Jesus Christ, he hit three home runs. Jesus Christ. Now we could play more. No, the uh, reporter who's Can a we, belo- please? <laughs> <laughs> the reporter, Paul Olden, who wound up being, you know, a beloved guy and a stadium announcer, actually asked a good question, which is not... Lasorda later said if he said what kind of pitches did he hit, he would have answered it with more decorum or if he asked a better question. But that's a fine, open-ended question. It's not the worst question in the world. The through line of all these angry managers is even though they all wound up apologizing for their language, they're all wrong for their content. Well, so can we create a taxonomy here of the managerial rant? I think with Price, it seemed like he was genuinely aggrieved at the fact that it was reported that one of his players was hurt because he thought that it put his team at a competitive disadvantage. But I think you could also see it as maybe a rallying cry, like a little us against the world, like the media is against us and I'm just trying to protect my guys, like that sort of thing. You don't, you didn't see that? Well, it's kind of, it was just so irrational. But there might've been some intentionality there because you can never go wrong in criticizing, in criticizing the, media. the media. And all, the players <laughs> all hate the reporters and think that they're out to get him. And he's like, I'm protecting my players. Like uh, I, and another part of it was, oh, like see Trent Rosecrans reported that like this guy was on an airplane um, you know, coming to join the team, but the guy who was getting sent down to the minor leagues didn't know. And so, yes, so that was, bad. 
So that's another part of it. Just like I am the defender of my players. But then there are other ones like the Lasorda one, which is just like pure media criticism. And just like you're a fucking idiot. And like, can you believe that I have to deal with these people all day? Um, Except that I think the Lasorda rants, both of them are baseball directed. I mean, Kurt Bavakwa said something. Kurt Bavakwa wasn't a reporter. He was a baseball player. That one was different. That's right. And Dave Kingman, too. I mean, that was a baseball rant. It wasn't so much, what did you think of Kingman? It was that Kingman hit three fucking home runs against the Dodgers, and Lasorda wasn't happy about it. Yeah, it was kind of a dumb question, but it was a baited. Sure, he was being baited. The Lee Elia rant from a long time ago, 1985, I think is is classic because it embodies so much. It really is in the pantheon because it really embraces all attributes in the taxonomy. It Let's, covers baseball. It covers media. It covers fans. It is a glorious, glorious thing. And here it is. I'll tell you one fucking thing. I hope we get fucking hotter than shit just to stuff it up them 3,000 fucking people that show up every fucking day. Because if they're the real Chicago fucking fans, they can kiss my fucking ass right downtown and print it. They're really, really behind you around here. My fucking ass. What the the fuck am I supposed to do? Go out there and let my fucking players get destroyed every day and be quiet about it for the fucking nickel-dime people to show up? The motherfuckers don't even work. That's why they're out at the fucking game. They only go out and get a fucking job and find out what it's like to go out there and a fucking living. You know, he goes on. I mean, the best part of that rant is when Lee Ely, a manager of the Cubs, says 85% of the fucking world's working. The other 15% come out here. Well, the contempt for the fans, I feel like, is uh, a little bit special. Like, you don't, right. you don't hear that often. Apart. But yeah, they the sucked. fans that did show up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but there was um, the, again, like defending his team, defending sure. his players. And I think... In baseball, managers don't do shit. They just like sit there in the uniform <laughs> and they look stupid. They're like all kind of like, like bulging babies, out of the uniform because right? they're like 65 like years old. in pajamas. <laughs> yeah. And so all they can really do, they're just impotent. They have nothing to do. All they can do is just yell and they're just angry all the time because they can't do anything. And so to the extent that this like helps their team win or it's like perceived that perceived. it helps them, let the let them in yell. Yeah. Even, that's if why, that's, even if they that's don't know they about get journalism. In fights. That's, what, that's why everyone gets in fights in baseball, too. They're just upset they look like babies in pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny part about the Brian Price, though, is that it's so counter to our or some fans' modern perception of what baseball is. Brian Price, and you read his resume... And he's like your quintessential baseball man. You know, he was drafted. He had a short career as a pitcher. And then he slogged his way up the ranks as a pitching coach in various organizations. I mean, this is not Joe Madden. You know, this is not an intellectual. This is an old-fashioned baseball guy. And that was a very old-fashioned baseball rant. All right. And there's one other genre. Maybe there are more. But there's one other that we have not discussed yet and this one uh, will be embodied by the great the legendary new orleans saints jim mora well what happened was that second game we got our ass kicked or the second half we just got our ass totally kicked we couldn't do diddly poo offensively we couldn't make a first down we couldn't run the ball we didn't try to run the ball we couldn't complete a pass we sucked the second half we sucked we couldn't stop the run. Every time they got the ball, they went down and got points. We got our ass totally kicked in the second half. That's what it boiled down to. It was a horse 
performance in the second half. Poor I'm totally embarrassed and totally ashamed. Coaching, we're all, all, our coaching did a horrible job. The players did a horrible job. We got our ass kicked in that second half. It sucked. It stunk. That was kind of a high-pitched beep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the next episode of Hang Up Listen, we'll assess the different pitches of beep yeah, used when yeah. bleeping it out. It hurts. Expletives. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just as... Not as, a baseball manager, though. I think we've strayed a little bit. I'm sorry. But just as the coach can, can bring his, his players up, he can tear them down. When he feels that they that they need the ass chewing, Peyton Manning was on that team, I believe. Diddly poo! I don't think Peyton Manning was ever on the Saints. I think you're confusing it with. Oh, the, I'm the, sorry. The playoffs rant. There. Playoffs rant. Yeah, the other Jim Mora rant. Yeah, wrong rant. There, there are many to choose from. Peyton Manning, Manning was on the Jim Mora playoff rant. I will note this: that I, I should put together the, the definitive record of the teams at the time of the rant. Mm-hmm. It's not looking good, guys. Like, uh, prices, you know, the Reds started off with a, I think, a three-game win streak, four-game win streak, and then at the time of the rant, they had lost four in a row and seven of the last eight. Trying to motivate the guys. Light a yeah. fire under their asses. That's right. That's right. Well, I think that we should we should point out, though, that like Lasorda, you notice that the assembled press was laughing, and Lealia is very funny. The Brian Price one was not funny. No. And he needs to work on that that aspect of his uh, profanity-laced tirades. Maybe it was just too dumb to be funny, or it was, I don't know if the stupefaction played a part in it, but he, it wasn't like the, I guess he did say pissing up a rope. There's a, pissing there's, up a rope was good. There's something kind of amusing about that, but it's not Lasordian no. and its use of language. No. It's just like, it says the, you know, fuck a lot. Again, you know, the character is missing. We don't have those characters in baseball that we once did because the manager doesn't do as much as he used to do. Good compilation of sports rants. Yahoo, top 10. I think we should go out with Hal McRae's rant, managing the Kansas City Royals. Oh, that's a good one. That's a great one. Back in uh, 1993. And this is also the only one with video. So this has a disproportionate place in the Pantheon. Did you consider... uh Brett for Miller with the bases loaded in the seventh. No, no, game. don't ask me all these stupid ass questions. No. And in in the God, all these stupid ass questions every night. Find the I hit Brett for Miller. Miller starts the game. He's playing against left handed pitches. Brett is not playing against left handed pitches. Find the I bat for for Miller. You think I'm a Damn fool! Tired all these. I ask questions every night. I'm not taking no shit off. You guys are not taking no shit off the players. I'm sick and tired. I'm fed up with every thing. No shit from you guys. No shit from you players. And yet they can do any thing they want to do. I'm sick and tired of all this bullshit. Now, put that in your pipe and smoke it. When he throws the phone and pirouettes, it's classic. The funny part about that one is that he's like actually trying to explain himself, but he just gets so angry. He's like, left-handers, fuck, shit, uh, uh, left platoon, ah, I think, throw a, a I think a reporter was injured in that rant, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, then we shouldn't be laughing. No. All right, let's move along. And maybe Bavakwa. Bavakwa is a funny name. He was criticizing Tommy Lasorda in the first of the two rants that we played, um, saying that he was like throwing at hitters or something. Kurt Bavacqua. I think he was known as a bench jockey. 
kind of guy who would... Oh, he would uh, ride a guy. That's right. He would ride a guy. He would yell at him from the bench. Bench jockeys, bivakwas, bivakwis, bivakis. Uh, he was a royal, a brewer, a mariner, a ranger, a padre. Fucking bivakwa. Uh, Mike, what is your bivakwa? I will now bring you to Mike's take on the latest baseball podcasts. There are a few I listen to and some I don't listen to. The ones I don't listen to, let's just assume I tried them or didn't try them and found them lacking. I won't call them out. There's one that could be okay if they got better microphones. I just really like the site fan graphs a lot. And Carson Sestouli, I think he has the chops. He's got a plus-plus fastball. But it's just so poorly mic'd, I'd much rather spend my time reading articles on fan graphs than listening to the fan graphs podcast. So I now want to talk about the fantasy uh, focus baseball podcast. First of all, I'm still calling baseball rotisserie baseball. And I just read an article that said I used to play fantasy baseball back when it was called rotisserie baseball. Oh, my God. The ground is if you're talking if you're talking to Mike Pesca, that means you played it in 2015. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So the guys who are now hosting the fantasy focus baseball podcast are Eric Carabell and Tristan Cockroft. And they're very good writers for the ESPN site. What I like about them is not so much flair, not so much fun, very statistically oriented. You know why? You know what I listen to the fantasy baseball podcast for? Fantasy baseball advice. You know what I don't listen to it for? Fun and merriment. In fact, (laughs) an attempted fun and merriment in a fantasy baseball podcast is just dragging me down. Now, the old guys who used to host the fantasy baseball podcast, Nate Ravitz and Matthew Berry, they also host and still host the fantasy football podcast, and it just became overwhelming as fantasy sports became, you know, this runaway way juggernaut that all the leagues have endorsed. I understand that they were spreading themselves too thin. They also had the attitude, Matthew Berry once said, that um, he, his broadcasting hero is Howard Stern, and he likes to divulge as many aspects of his personal life as possible because that's what Howard Stern does. Yeah, except we don't listen to the fantasy baseball podcast to hear Howard Stern-esque aspects of your personal life. Also, Howard Stern is a very funny, entertaining man. You are a good host of a fantasy baseball podcast or are no longer a host of a fantasy baseball podcast. You do a fine job on the football. I'm glad these guys are off the baseball podcast. I don't want to slam them too hard. They did a really good job for as long as they did it. Then, as I said, they were spread thin. But now Carabelle and Cockroft, they're the fantasy baseball podcast you want to go to. A little bit of a nitpick, right? They have this thing, the Daily Fantasy Leagues, and obviously ESPN is in business with them. They have, they're making money on them. They're a new trend, too. They have totally gone overboard in highlighting which players to pick in the daily fantasy leagues. I don't think most players play daily fantasy baseball. And when they start the show on a Monday, doing all this talk about the daily fantasy leagues, it's fine because you could skip it. Just like maybe you're skipping this after ball if you're not interested in baseball podcasts. Anyway, you can skip it. But the thing is, they spend all their time talking about individual players who are good that day. They kind of, uh, you know, They use up that conversation, and I'd want them to be talking about CC Sabathia in general, but if they already talked about it during the daily portion, which I don't listen to, I'm at a conundrum. Do I fast forward because it's 90% stuff I don't do, or do I listen for the 10% that might reference knowledge I as a non-daily player could use? It's a conundrum. Couple other podcasts I want to commend. Love the Effectively Wild podcast from Baseball Prospectus, Sam Miller. Ben Lindbergh. There's another daily baseball prospectus podcast. 
I don't listen to that one. I listen to Effectively Wild. It's a lot of fun. My only problem, the guys talk at such differing rates of speed. I'm challenged whether to listen to one and a half times speed or two times speed. But the last baseball podcast I want to mention that I've been listening to, J-A-B-O, Jabbo, Just a Bit Outside. This is hosted by C.J. Nitkowski, Rob Nyer. Nitkowski, an actual former player. He's exactly what you want from a former player, which is a guy who adds relevant info but doesn't lord it over you, doesn't pretend he knows more because he's a former player. He's really, really good. I think he's a big baseball card collector, a big fan of the sport, and he'll tell you relevant things without pretending, look, he played in Cincinnati, you know, 12 years ago. Does that mean he knows exactly what's going on now with the Brian Price situation? He does not, but he still gives you relevant information, and Rob Nyer is, you know, an excellent journalist and is very statistical-minded, and they have exactly the right take on whether um, Yasiel Puig should be toning down his bat flipping, i.e. he should not be toning down his bat flipping. So I recommend those baseball podcasts. You like Nitkowski because he went to St. John's. Tell the truth. I know he did. He's a, he's a, you know, he's an everyman. Stefan, what's your bivacqua? All right, so we'll get to Bruce Jenner in our bonus segment. But right now, I want to talk about Bruce and Wheaties. After winning Decathlon Gold in 1976, Jenner filmed at least three Wheaties TV commercials. In one of them, in 1978, a faux announcer narrates the Olympic win, and then Jenner tells us why he won. I really worked hard getting ready for that day. I put in a lot of years and put away a lot of Wheaties because a complete breakfast with Wheaties is good tasting and good for you. Take it from Bruce Jenner. Wheaties is the breakfast of champions. All right, so I need to describe what we are seeing there. First, there's a giant fern on top of the refrigerator that, to use a contemporaneous analogy, looks like Roseanne, Rosanna Dana's hair. Jenner has to reach over the back of the refrigerator door to get the pitcher of milk, and then he has to scooch over to sit down at the table. The feng shui is terrible. The open fridge door basically blocks the table, which is in front of windows, in which I'm pretty sure you can see the reflection of the camera. After Jenner sits down, the Wheaties box blocks the entire right side of his body. It sounds as if Jenner's panting, and that's because he probably was panting. I'm guessing that had to be like the 50th take. He does not seem comfortable there. Jenner does do much better in this Wheaties commercial, which is set on a balcony overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Pour on the Wheaties and what do you get? Plenty. Nutritious, good-tasting whole wheat with all the natural brand fiber left in each crunchy golden flake. And eight important vitamins and iron, too. So make yours a nutritious Wheaties breakfast, then pour it on. Wheaties is the breakfast of champions. Jenner gives us a fist pump after successfully pouring the cereal into the bowl. Also key in this one, Wheaties ditches the announcer for the catchy jingle. And I think the ambient sound of seagulls adds a touch of of tranquility to the commercial. Wheaties is basically dead as a brand. It sponsors bowling now. It hasn't had an official spokesperson since Tiger Woods in 1998, but its commercials were quintessential reflections of the sports eras in which they were made. A 1951 ad starred an actor playing a baseball announcer. Hi there, I'm Mike Fitzmorris. Crack of the bat. Telling us that Wheaties make Ralph Kiner hit game-winning home runs. The tagline is Wheaties sparks a champion. And the ad ends with the exciting post-war sound of sparks. Sparks. It's great. Here, let's listen to a little spark from Wheaties. Don't be satisfied with less. Remember, what sparks a champion sparks you. And champions choose Wheaties. Breakfast of champions. 
More than a decade after winning Olympic gold, pole vaulter Bob Richards starred in a boring and earnest 1968 ad that ushered out the organization man advertising era. But then came the 80s. The 80s were the apotheosis of Wheaties commercials. Here's 1984 Olympics gymnastics darling Mary Lou Retton in this peppy number. Pete Rose was in a similar What the Big Boys Eat commercial a year later, and then came this 1987 work of art featuring Walter Payton. If anyone can decipher the lyrics, please, please share it with us. Fort Hills, all I, good whole wheat. I think that's what that's what they're singing there. I got no idea. Hands down, though, the greatest Wheaties commercial of all aired in 1981. It starred Dodgers third baseman Ron Say, the NBA's Daryl Dawkins, Chocolate Thunder, and NFL lineman Ed White. This has to be in the conversation for the greatest worst sports commercial ever. No setup is required. Let's go right to the videotape. Before I swing for the bleacher CDs, I get the EDs for my Wheaties. Before I slam my gorilla donkeys, I get the EDs for my Wheaties. The EDs for Wheaties, that undeniable, irresistible urge for the crispy, crunchy, whole wheat taste of the breakfast of champions. Before I put on my little cleaties, I get the EDs for my Wheaties. Part of your good breakfast. I think Daryl Dawkins actually said, before I slam my gorilla donkeys, I get the Edies for my Wheaties. The marketing guy who realized that Wheatie rhymes with Edie deserves a raise. <laughs> but he deserves to have that raise taken away for not realizing that donkeys does not rhyme with Wheaties. <laughs> That's right. Not even a slant rhyme, not even a near rhyme. Donkeys, not even a word. Josh, what's your bivacqua? The website Mental Floss did a feature a couple of years ago on 15 curious facts we learned from 1987 Topps baseball cards. Among those tidbits, which are called from the back of Topps cardboard, pitcher Moose Haas has a black belt in Taekwondo, is an amateur magician, and a certified locksmith. Amateur <laughs> magician, certified locksmith. Third baseman Carney Lansford is a direct descendant of Sir Francis Drake. Who also and, had an open stance. And RJ Reynolds... <laughs> acquired the nickname Shoes from teammates due to his large collection of footwear. I actually think it might have been the same guy who did the Wheaties marketing campaign. Not only does Edie's rhyme with Wheaties, R.J. Reynolds, the guy likes shoes. His nickname? <laughs> shoes. The one that caught my attention, though, was that Mets third baseman Howard Johnson was the co-winner, the co-winner of a rib-eating contest among professional athletes after the 1985 season. Howard Johnson, a.k.a. Hojo, Hojo, was my favorite player growing up. I loved the Mets. He was the team's best player for a while, so there you go. Somehow, though, I never knew about his affinity for ribs, and so I explored further. In the book Tales from the Mets Dugout, Bruce Markusen writes that Johnson played a background role for the Mets during their 86 championship season. In some ways, he writes, the individual highlight of Johnson's year took place before the season in the annual rib-eating contest held at Rusty Staub's popular New York City restaurant. 
with dozens of New York area athletes participating. Dozens, I tell you. A ravenous Johnson tied for first place in the gluttonous competition. He ate 36 ribs in only three minutes, sharing the crown with fullback Rocky Clever of the NFL's New York Jets. Clever? Cleaver? Cleaver. Rocky Rocky Cleaver. Cleaver of the NFL's New York Jets. The fact that Rusty Staub was involved, that interested me even more. Mets legend, couple restaurants in the city, grew up in New Orleans. Le Grand Orange. Le Grand Orange, New Orleans. Shares my birthday. Brother of my uh, aunt's stepmother. I was very excited that he shared my birthday when you're I discovered just that. You're stepping on the fact that I'm related to wow, him. Wow, you're related to Rusty yeah, Staub. Oh, he shares your birthday? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah great. Um, yeah, I'm related to him, so that's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so the public demands to know more about this legendary rib-eating contest and who holds the all-time rib-eating record. Is it Hojo and Rocky Cleaver? 36 in three minutes? Sounds pretty impressive. So I looked in various news databases to uncover more rib nuggets, rib bits, rib item, rib riblets. Uh, okay, in 1982, gossip columnist Cindy Adams reports that Rusty Staub's fifth annual rib-eating contest is upon us. Previous winners were... Brooke Shields, who inhaled 28, (laughs) and the all-time record holder at that point, Willis Reed, and this is Cindy Adams' word, who sucked up 32 of the greasy things in three minutes. Just inspirational. Good writing. Willis Reed, 32. Good writing. Just like no, no matter, you know, which of his extremities were injured, the man could eat a rib. All right. 1983 article. Notes that Mets catcher John Stearns won that year's contest by eating 32 ribs. And we have more information of the uh, rib annals of the past. Marty Lyons of the New York Jets reportedly had the record with 34 ribs. All right. So this is what we know at this point. Lyons, 34. Stearns, 32. Willis Reed, 32. Brooke Shields, 28. That was a weak year. Yeah. 1986. She also was the weakest member of the SAC exchange. (laughs) She would come down on third, obvious passing situations. 1986 piece on gluttonous athletes by Maria Sciolo of the Pittsburgh Press says that Gordon King, a tackle for the New York Giants, won the contest in 1984 with 33 ribs in three minutes. So not quite Lions-esque. He told reporters, you don't really practice for it, but you have to pick the bones clean. It's a good technique. From King, just solid, you know, par- serious parcels influenced, mm-hmm. pick the bones clean. Yep. According to Sciolo, the next year, 1985, he downed 38 ribs, but quote, lost on a technicality. Too much barbecue sauce, illegal wrist technique. King would not elaborate. All right. So now, th- now what we know is wow. 38 is like the unofficial, like wind dated rib like performance enhancing rib eating drug record mm-hmm. so we got to bracket that but we still got marty lyons with 34 was he wearing that special compressed rib shirt that you once talked about <laughs> <laughs> yes a bench shirt um another newspaper article from that same year um or from 1984 noted that monaco's prince rainier happened to wander into rusty Stobbs restaurant during the nineteen eighty four rib eating contest. It's the thus, title of his biography, The Wandering Prince. Thus <laughs> ruining his plans to dine anonymously. Don't you hate it when you're the Prince of Monaco? You just want to have ribs and you wander into a rib eating contest. You want to go Story to Rusty Stobbs and enjoy a rib. Story of my life. All right, nineteen ninety three is a very lucky number for Ed Charles, the third baseman of the world champ sixty nine Mets. 
And because of it, he's sitting in the champ chair again. He was crowned rib-eating king yesterday when he managed to wolf down 33 ribs at Rusty Stobbs Restaurant on 3rd in three minutes. 33 on 3rd, three minutes. And that is the last report I was able to find. So we don't have complete data. You know, this is all taken with a grain of whatever, sauce. Barbecue sauce. If we don't count Gordon King's wind-aided, illegal barbecue sauce asterisked 38 rib performance, then Howard Johnson and Rocky Cleaver, 36. That is the best performance in the known history of the Rusty Stub rib eating contest. And since Rusty Stub's New York restaurants are now closed, that number will stand forever. It's one of these unbreakable records in sports. Howard Johnson, even more of a hero than I ever knew. Competitive eating? Ribs, part of competitive eating. Howard Johnson invented competitive eating. He did. The record for baby back ribs? Eight minutes, 5.24 pounds. (laughs) Was it Crazy Legs Conti? It was Patrick Bertoletti. Oh, Patrick Bertoletti. And then our friend, Joey, our, our friend Joey Chestnut holds the pork ribs record, 13.76 pounds. <laughs> Do you think in, I was eating 12 ribs? In 12 minutes in, in 2013. Bertoletti, mm-hmm. 2011. Each of, the, each of the ribs that Howard Johnson ate was like one of those Flintstones ribs. <laughs> like they would put a hole in the, in the roof of the car. And the car would tip over. And we could tip over. We'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at hangup at slate.com. We'll also gather links to the stories we discussed at slate.com slash hangup. Subscribe to Hang Up and listen to iTunes. You can find us by going to iTunes.com slash slate podcasts. When you're there, leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Hang Up and Listen on Facebook at facebook.com slash hang up and listen. Call in to our call in show, 77 Hang Up 10. Our producer, Mike Volo. Our managing producer is Joel Meyer. The executive producer of Slate's podcast is Andy Bowers. Hang Up and Listen is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Remember Zelmo Beatty, and thanks for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.